Support for this episode of Judaism Unbound comes from the Ashman Family JCC in Palo Alto, California, whose vision is to be the architects of the Jewish future. The Ashman Family JCC empowers you to experience Jewish paths toward a life of joy, purpose, and meaning through innovative Jewish learning and wellness programs, community building, and initiatives to develop the next generation of Jewish leaders. Learn more at www.paloaltojcc.org. This is Judaism Unbound, episode 256, A Righteous Crowd. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dan Liebenson. And I'm Lex Rothberg. And as we continue this series looking at Jewish philanthropy and different ways of organizing Jewish philanthropy, perhaps to support a different kind of Jewish activity, we've started to look at the idea of giving circles. That's a way of people pooling their money together so that they can support bigger things or that they can make a more significant contribution to the things they care about by pooling their resources with others. It's also potentially an alternative to large organizations like Jewish federations or family foundations, which have the capacity to make large contributions to Jewish work, but perhaps are not as risk tolerant as we might want for support of initiatives that are newer and more likely to fail because they're doing the kind of experimentation that might ultimately find a really important new way. Last week, we talked to Liz Fisher from Amplifier, which is really trying to promote this idea of giving circles and to support nascent giving circles. And today, our guest is Amy Shillett Benaroch, who has spent the last two years running an organization that she and her family created together called Righteous Crowd. You can kind of think of Righteous Crowd as a giving circle, it's just a pretty big circle. There are a lot of people in it. But as we'll discuss in our conversation, the idea was for everybody to contribute basically a dollar a day. So around $365 for the year, and Righteous Crowd pooled that money and gave it out to a different organization each week. There's a lot more to it than that, which we're excited to get into in our conversation. Over the past two years, with about 250 members, Righteous Crowd raised almost $200,000, which it gave out to over 80 organizations. Recently, for a variety of reasons that we'll discuss, Righteous Crowd itself has shifted away from being a kind of giving circle where they collect and give out the contributions into what they call an information-giving model, where they facilitate people donating directly to organizations by sending out monthly newsletters that feature different organizations and other educational activities. You can learn more and sign up for their newsletter at www.righteouscrowd.org. If you remember our conversation last week with Liz Fisher, you'll know that we're starting to get interested in this area. We think Righteous Crowd is actually a great idea as a mega giving circle. So stay tuned because we might start playing around with some of these ideas ourselves. In the meantime, we're really excited to welcome our guest, Amy Shillett Benaroch, who describes herself as a philanthropreneur, which I don't know if that's a word that she's coined, but I love it a philanthropeneur who lives in Brooklyn, New York. She is also a professional Jewish educator and has had a lot of experience in that area. Amy Shillett Benaroch, welcome to Judaism Unbound. It's so great to have you. Thank you for having me. Could we get started just by understanding a little bit about the story of how Righteous Crowd was created? Who were you before that and what led to the creation of the organization? So back in 2014, Fast Company featured a little project that one of Kickstarter's founders created, which was called Dollar a Day. And the idea of it was that every day they would collect money from people who signed up and give it to different nonprofits. They did this project, all volunteer run for a year and gave to 365 nonprofits, raised over $300,000 and had over a thousand donors. And my brother thought this was super cool. You know, I would never seen anything like this before. An online virtual giving circle, no one knew each other, automated. Every day you just got in your inbox a different nonprofit. And he emailed me, is anyone doing this in the Jewish world? And I'm like, no, I don't think so. It looks cool. And of course, back in, uh, you know, 2015, he bought the, the domain for Righteous Crowd because the Hebrew word for charitable giving, tzedakah, is actually rooted in the root word of, of righteousness. And obviously crowd, it was very trendy back in the mid, you know, tens of all these crowdfunding campaigns and things like that. And it laid like an empty web page for many years, <laughs> yet to be filled. and. 
we fast forward a few years, like mid 2018, and I started thinking about what what does that mean in the Jewish world? Like I I'd always worked with kids, and my connection to tzedakah, um, you know, Jewish charitable giving, was we collected. I had the kids bring their coins on, you know, Friday. We put it, it was all communal giving, always connected to Shabbat. And if we're going to make Righteous Crowd turn into an actual giving organization from what we were inspired to do from that first dollar a day website, we couldn't do it every day. (laughs) We knew that. So we said weekly, let's connect it to the idea that we give around Shabbat, that, that custom. And what if not only did we connect it to Shabbat, but we connected it to the Jewish calendar that we would be giving related either to a Torah portion, the upcoming Torah portion that was going to be read that week, or themes from the Jewish month, or to a holiday. I also just like felt very passionate that of expanding the definition of what like Jewish philanthropy was, that it wasn't just giving to Jewish organizations that everyone knows. We felt like our platform, like the whole point of signing up was just like dollar a day. Like you were going to discover new organizations. The organizations had to be small. It had to be ones that uh, you wouldn't have heard of otherwise, probably, unless you had signed up. So I think uh, we topped it at like $5 million budget. And then we also wanted to get back to that root of tzedakah, righteousness, because the Torah defined it as, as giving to vulnerable populations. So that was our orgs. I started a spreadsheet of all the Torah portions, values from the Torah portions, and what kind of organizations um, we could give to. And then we just had to convince our friends to do it, (laughs) to join. So that's what I was going to ask as a follow-up was just, (laughs) okay, so now you've built this. Well, I guess I I I have a two-part question. One is... Can you just describe a little bit about sort of what happens when a person signs up? It's it's that they're signing up to give $365 over the course of the year. Like, what is the way that that kind of works? And then if I understand correctly, you research these organizations and each week you, you just give the money, but you send to the members a description of the organization. Do you suggest that they give more money? You know, I guess I'm just curious about how that whole process works and how you find out about the organizations and all of that. And then the other question is just, can you talk a little bit about how did you originally get people to sign up and how many signed up over the course of time? And how is it at the end of last year, let's say? So I I first have to give a humongous shout out and thanks um, to Moisha House, who agreed to be our fiscal sponsor. My my parents had a relationship with Moisha House and um, they were excited about this. It, It fit into, you know, their belief of making giving more accessible, especially to, to younger Jews. Um, so people signed up. Um, it was like a through a Moisha House donation, but it went to our, you know, fiscally sponsored Righteous Crowd. And it was $30 a month for the most part. You know, we had people give 180 a month, you know, sign up for the whole family or, you know, we had people give $5 a month. It, w- it was kind of like suggested donation. Obviously, of thirty, but the vast majority—I think eighty percent—worth thirty years, and that was like we put our faith in you. We're now it's on autopilot. There was no voting. There was it wasn't traditional in a you know giving circle in that sense. And then each week they would get an email that talked about the organization. And up until recently, we actually always had an interview with the the founder, a volunteer, and a lot of times it was a righteous crowd member, which was really cool. And it was, you know, I'm in New York, my, my other, my family's in Maryland and Florida. So the, and people who signed up were from all over the country. So sometimes if we were, you know, featuring a local food bank, we would talk, we would encourage Righteous Crowd members to get in touch with their local food bank, or, um, you know, sometimes it was national organizations. So there was always, you know, if you want to find out more, this is the website and this is how you do it. I, I was very pessimistic. I was like, who's going to give us money? Like, you know, I got really excited about the nerdy, like Jewish education stuff. <laughs> but when it came to asking, you know, my friends for money and, and people for money, I, I definitely like that was extremely out of my comfort zone. And the first week, um, I'm looking at a spreadsheet now, we gave uh, $140 away. <laughs> so so not that many people had signed up. It was It was on December 6th. 
2018, I think, you know, my aunt and my uncle signed up. <laughs> that was about it. Um, but like slowly, slowly, I, I don't know. I think at some point I was like, okay, so we give $140 away. That's better than nothing. But slowly, slowly, by the following year, we were giving um, about $2,000 a week, which, you know, was kind of like beyond my dreams. Um, but then stayed like fairly, especially, you know, we're coming into pandemic territory. Um, it stayed fairly at 2000. Like it came to a point where we just were not growing anymore with about like 250 members, most of which were like friends, friends of friends. We had, you know, a few very exciting people, you know, signing up because they heard from like a local Jewish newspaper, you know, did a feature on my brother or, or whatnot. So small, but mighty of giving away about two thousand dollars a week i don't think that's small i mean like i i appreciate the way you talked about that but like that to me is an incredible thing and i don't want and i don't want it like i appreciate your modesty but i really i really want to celebrate that like let's say it were all friends of friends let's say you reached Mm -hmm. no people outside of your network and all you did in quotes all you did was rally a bunch of your friends and their friends to take on a project like this, like that matters a huge amount. $2,000 a week for every, like that's a lot of money. And I mean, maybe for the organizations on the top end of what you were giving to the, the 5 million cap that you mentioned budget wise, maybe, I mean, maybe it's not that big, but my guess is if you talked to those people and asked them if they know about all the different donations they've received, like which ones are most meaningful to you? Getting a gift from a collaborative group of a few hundred people is like a cool thing in my view. So I I just want to start with that. But the the other thing I, I, well, there's a few other things. So I love many pieces about what you said. And I also have some loving skepticisms if I were to land on your website and consider being a part myself. So I'm going to start with the loving skepticism. So we end on the things I love notes. I've been on a personal journey the last bunch of years in terms of how I allocate donations. And and I've realized that a number of years ago, I, I think I kind of saw most nonprofit organizations as like roughly the same. Not, not that they all did the same work, but I was like, yeah, giving to a nonprofit is good. It's a great action to, to give to a, a nonprofit. And I generally want people to take that on. And I've been, and look, it's not that I think for most nonprofits, it's like actively bad to give to them, but I've partially through working in a nonprofit and getting to know this ecosystem a little better, I've moved to a place where like, I really do some research about who I'm going to support. And I really want to know what's what's happening with them. And I will tell you, as much as I do stand by what I said before, I don't think I would sign up for a project where I'm just giving to hundreds of organizations over a few years without knowing much about them, even if it's only one of my dollars. Because mm-hmm. on principle, I, I want to have some sense of where that, that money's going and what it's going to support. Um, now the things I love. So if you have responses to that and like what you would say to somebody in my shoes, that's part of the question. The things I love, you you mentioned that there was like, you know, this trendy thing of crowdfunding and part of where the name crowd came from is that, that like, I, I do think that there is a deep power in communal giving. Being part of a collective that is giving something matters. Um, this is a little different because your collective isn't all sort of decision makers and in that collaborative conversation. But I still think at the end of the day, they're probably getting emails and learning about organizations, like you said, and it's powerful. And um, small gifts. Small gifts are huge. Like I say that phrase purposely because it's like an oxymoron or whatever. Like small gifts are huge because when we get a small gift with Judaism Unbound, I tend to think, maybe I'm wrong, but like these are people that have less in the way of resources. Um, and are making a decision. It could be that they have lots of resources and they're just giving to a, a ton of donations to different organizations. But like when I when we get an eighteen dollar donation, I sometimes know that the person giving that really doesn't have a lot that they can allocate, and they've chosen us. And so that matters to me that you know it, you've got people that are signed up that are the five dollar a month people 
that kind of thing. Um, so basically, I really love the project you're doing. I'd love to learn more, and I'd love for you, to the extent you could, to respond to my worries a little bit about like kind of the agnosticism of all these organizations are are great. How would you respond to somebody who wants a little more nuancing from from their giving perspective? Yeah, luck. You you made a great point, and there were definitely you know close friends who didn't sign up because it just what like wasn't wasn't for them, and they for the same you know reasons you shared. Um, and you know our our philosophy and our kind of what we were trying to break was this idea that you can give individually, you know, personally, once a year, you know, before in taxes or whatever, um, maybe another time a year with your 10 person, you know, amplifier giving circle, another huge shout out to amplifier. I, um, before really launching, I did their, um, incubator program to get ideas of, cause I kind of, I thought of about this as, as a giving circle, just a different type. And we were kind of, seeing if there could be a third category, just the same way my second graders brought in the coins every Friday for Shabbat, the communal giving, not something that's going to prohibit you from doing those other two types of giving, but making it more like a ritual, like a Shabbat ritual, just like you light candles, so that you have that feeling of giving every week. And then our hope was also experientially, like you got had the feeling of like, I've never given to a domestic abuse organization before like how did that feel reading more of the interview reading a founder story maybe when it comes time for those two other types of givings that you do that organization might be included as well and i think i think we definitely succeeded i i think a lot of the times we were almost doing this more for our members than the organizations because really like when how can giving be a, a weekly practice for anyone like that's really complicated <laughs> Yeah. So that's what excites me. I mean, I, I know you don't mean like just sort of making them feel good as people, but like it's it's habitualizing. It's ritualizing. I mean, honestly, this yeah. feels so deeply I, I don't say this sentence very much. This feels deeply Jewish. I, I'm one who likes to criticize that sentence. Yeah, if we were Chabad, you know, if we were like an Orthodox religious organization, we would be like, We're getting more people to do commandments and feel really yeah, good. It's about creating that. a habit. It's 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 the idea that in order for anything to actually stick in your life and meaningfully move you, it needs to be daily. I mean, if you wanted to psychoanalyze why we have so many like blessings a day, I don't think it's actually that the creators of Judaism really thought that every last action of the day requires a blessing. It's that in doing so, something changes about you, that you're actually thinking about blessing something grander than yourself multiple times every day, it makes you a different kind of person. So like, that's really exciting to me. It's, uh, I, I want to live in the zone of giving that's not on a yearly cycle, because that mm -hmm. is so deeply enshrined as like how you give, ah, end of the year, we've done this too, like end of the year, like whether that's the the calendar year, solar calendar year, or it's the um, the Rosh Hashanah beginning of the year in Jewish, like both of those times are when we like to do, we broadly defined fundraising campaigns because right. it's like, ah, we're turning that calendar and like you probably didn't do your once a year thing before now. So now is when you do it. But I, part of my own, you know, giving journey also has been like, I have signed up a lot more for monthly recurring gifts to different projects I care about. A lot of them are like $6. I do six because when you multiply it by 12, that gets to 72 and it's a multiple of 18. So I'm still doing the 18 thing, even though I can't afford to give $18 donations every month to lots of projects. Um, mm -hmm. It's my loophole thing. Yay, math. But like that is powerful and it also like as a giver feels easier even though it's not actually um like I, oh six dollars a bunch of times fine 72 dollars one time feels grander so i'd love to to live in that zone why do we need people to give not just annually why is it important to have this be a habitualized part of living I, th I think just like, you know, the same way I feel about um, other Jewish ritual practices, like it makes that Friday special, knowing that, you know, I maybe just gave a few bucks, but because I gave it to with 
250 of my friends and friends' friends, and definitely a lot of my mom's friends. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, I see what you're saying, like, they're all the same, whatever. But a lot of times, you know, you, you break it down, especially during the pandemic, when you're like, the, the $2,000, we can feed X amount of families, like that felt like really powerful that that couldn't have existed if, if we didn't, if we hadn't, you know, done all this. Um, those really little orgs that were just like are getting off the ground were really benefited by by what we did. So I did say, you know, that I thought a lot of times it was for the members, but also a lot of times for the orgs. Once we we once we hit, you know, more than one hundred forty dollars, I, I did feel like we're enriching not just our members' lives, but the the goal that we had set out, you know, of of trying to amplify those smaller orgs that were doing the really the really hard work of giving to to people in need. I mean I'm I'm intrigued by the whole idea of the monthly giving and I I've been thinking about it for a while but now as we're having this conversation I'm thinking about it even more because I mean partly you're always thinking from your own perspective. I mean we recently switched to this new donor management software kind of thing that has monthly giving built in. And so it's much easier for us to ask for monthly gifts than it used to be. It used to be that you would have to do it through Patreon. Now you can do it on our website. But what's intriguing to me about it in part, and this may this may uh, uh, make some of our listeners not want to give this away, because what I, what's intriguing to me is that it's a kind of fire and forget in the sense that once you register to do it monthly, you actually have to take an active act to stop giving to the organization, meaning they really have to, you know, make you mad or, you know, you really kind of get to this point where you realize, like, I haven't listened to that podcast in a year. Again, I don't want to give anyone ideas, but hopefully anybody listening. Or your life circumstances change. So or your life you circumstances yeah. change, you know, but you really have to be active about it. And, and there's obviously positives and negatives, right? I mean, there's certain newspapers that I subscribe to, you know, that, you know, six months later, I realize, like, am I still subscribing to that? You know, or whatever. Um, but there's something about it that really strikes me as interestingly Jewish in the sense that the idea of certain certain ways that Judaism is practiced is this kind of ritualized practice that the knock on it often is that it takes away its spiritual experience of it because you're not thinking about it anymore. And like the ultimate version of not thinking about it anymore is I signed up one time and this is happening in the background automatically deducting for my credit card. If I don't inspect my credit card that carefully every month, then I almost become unaware that I'm supporting this organization. And there's one way to think of that as negative, but there's also a way to think of it as positive. The other benefit of it, at least from an organization standpoint, is that you don't have to solicit that donor every year. Like you don't have to try to persuade them once a year to give. Now, again, you may just never contact them again, which is also bad, but the, the there's something intriguing about it that I almost feel like it's one of those cases where the technology wasn't available until recently to do that. And so therefore the entire Jewish community has habituated to a very different way of doing philanthropy, which made sense for a pre-digital world in which you had you know, the gathering where the Federation and I don't know, whatever they did, where they would jump up and say, I pledge this much and I pledge this month. And there was like social pressure at the Jewish country club. You know, all those Jewish country clubs have now closed. So there's got to be some new new approach here. And, and, and I'm intrigued by this. So, so I guess my question to you is in part, if you want to talk about that specifically, but I'm also curious whether in doing Righteous Crowd for the last two or so years, are there ways in which you've been thinking about philanthropy or Jewish philanthropy or philanthropy in general that are different from how you were thinking about it two years ago? Are there things that you've kind of, even if you haven't done them, are there things that you've been kind of thinking like, hmm, that's that's something that I'd like to think about a little bit more? Definitely the um, the monthly, that was like all we had available on our website because obviously that's that's who we are. We, we collect, you know, around the year, around the calendar. And yeah, especially like I'm, I'm now a board member of a nonprofit. So that experience and being with Righteous Crowd um, makes me think about you know, how can I give more of those pledges, not just the one time a year, the the monthly um, pledges, because that's what's really like helps sustain these these small nonprofits. This experience definitely changed that idea of like when should I give, because I was definitely a one, once a year giver. Definitely the types of organizations, because that was something else I realized like. Not only was I doing it once a year, like 
I would just like look at like, oh, where did I get last year? Okay, same ones. Why? Like just because like a friend told me about it. Like I I didn't really look at like my own values and, and what I didn't research as much as, you know, I do with Righteous Crowd because I didn't have that much like feeling of responsibility for just my own money. But now I definitely feel, and good thing, you know, we've supported over like 80 organizations. Like I've done that. Now, personally, I'll, I'll choose from Righteous Crowd orgs for sure. I'm thinking about Lex's concern that he raised, you know, that I wouldn't want to give over my giving choice making to somebody else. I actually feel the opposite. I actually, there's a there's a part of me that really is attracted to that in the same way that you like to invest in a mutual fund or an index fund. You know, there's some degree of relief to say, I, I wouldn't mind giving via some vehicle that I thought was making really sensible, smart decisions. In fact, I think that was one of the arguments that the federation system made over the years, that they have a professional staff that assesses the needs of the Jews in the community. And so you only have to give to one place and then they would distribute it to the maximal uh, to the maximal benefit of the community. Now the reason why I'm not attracted to giving to the Federation is because I'm really interested in like the edgy Jewish organizations that they tend not to support. I'm really happy for all of my money to go to like the Federation of high risk, high reward, fundraising, or I'm really interested in digital Judaism. So I would be really interested in the Federation of the Internet that only gives to digital Jewish organizations. So I I guess I'm kind of wondering whether it may be that Righteous Crowd, as not having a particular niche, is a tough sell for Alex, you know, because (laughs) that's too that's too varied for him. I'll clarify what I was getting at, because you're right. And there's also ways that I'm with you on this, but I'll clarify Uh it. Well, I'm just curious if like if your assessment is that a righteous crowd, the righteous crowd is actually a great idea because I think it really is. Like, I I think an idea of having this kind of mutual fund is a really intriguing idea. And I would love to figure out how to make it work. And I'm wondering whether maybe one of the pieces that would make it work really well would be to have a number of them in different niches rather than a generalist. You're you're right, Dad. Like uh, I don't speak that mutual fund language, but I thought of it as a CSA, a community supported agriculture, where you know I get my box of different fruits and vegetables each each week, and I get to find out, get to try uh, new recipes, and see what I like. That's how I you know thought of righteous crowd. And I I totally left out a, a big part of our founding story was that that dollar a day website that I told you the Kickstarter founders founded as a project, when they wrapped up, if you visit dollarday.co, they have their um, their story. And they wrote on it that they encouraged people to make their own versions of dollar a day. You know, they said working on environmental issues or social justice, and they actually open sourced their code. So my brother and I, when we first started, we were like, oh, this is going to be so easy. Like, we'll just get someone off of, you know, uh, Upwork or one of these websites where you can hire someone to make a build a website with us using this code. Of course, the code was like, you know, already five years old. That didn't work. We had to build the website. But like that kind of, and that's, you know, how I feel right now. And what I'm, I I really hope, I mean, I, it is a lot of work, but um, maybe it's, you know, not a righteous crowd, the, the model we had weekly, like maybe, um, there is a super niche, like digital Judaism, new, new um, organizations that you and your friends decide we're going to research and give to every month instead. Like I would love, I would be so happy if righteous crowds like start popping up. This was our righteous crowd. But what if there was a racial justice racial crowd or a mm-hmm. I don't know. There are lots of things going on in the so world. So shouts shouts out to the Jewish Liberation Fund that just recently launched. They're, I'm not going to say they are a racial justice racist crowd. They're looking to create a collaborative grant-making organization um, that's going to center Jews of color and racial justice and... Um, I'm I'm excited about them. I, what's funny is I said the thing before about how I'd be nervous. Like I I signed up for that because I I do like the idea of 
passing over decision making in the way that Dan was talking about to a group of people that I'm really into. What my my skepticism was not so much about that as much as about just like the number, the quantity of organizations and doing it so regularly that like um, it's I'm sure you're doing lots of good homework and learning about the organizations, but it, right. it would just like make me nervous. Um, the 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 other thing I wanted to ask about is you hinted that you're really interested in broadening the idea of what Jewish philanthropy mm. even is. And we're really into that. What needs to be broader about how we define Jewish philanthropy? You hinted a little bit at this when you said, hey, it's not just about giving to the big Jewish established organizations. We're going to set a smaller cap and it's going to be smaller organizations. But what other ways, like how do we need to broaden this realm that we have called Jewish philanthropy? Um, how should we be thinking about it? I like to think that like, all philanthropy is Jewish. It's a commandment in the Torah. Give, giving, charitable giving is a commandment. Um, and a lot of what we read, you know, has to do with giving to people in need, giving to the poor, the widow, that's, you know, the language of the Torah, the orphan. You know, what I noticed, especially like of my parents' generation and like big, big donors, it was, it was, they have their organizations and the big, always, always like the recipients were, were Jewish that's not the lesson of the Torah. Like we're, we're supposed to give to strangers. Like they're not, not all recipients need to be Jewish. So how do we kind of encourage that type of giving? I think we did that really well by tying it each week into the calendar, explaining why it's like, this is a Jewish value giving to people all over the world of all different backgrounds um, was, was a real goal. Some weeks the, it was a kosher food bank. So of course our recipients were Jewish, but in some weeks, maybe the founder was Jewish and other, other weeks it just had nothing to do with the, the organization itself was not getting uh, federation money or, or a lot of Jewish donors. But here we had the, the capacity to, to get like all of our members pretty much were, are Jewish. That was, you know, our, our target audience. It's not just a, Giving circles also like it was an educational tool. Um, for example, Emma's Torch, which I'm also on the board of, but that's the only one that I that I that we supported that I'm on the board of. Obviously, um, it's a I can just speak about it. Well, um, culinary education for refugees. So that tied beautifully to you know any story in in Exodus about you know strangers in a strange land or around the Passover story. So that's. Um, how we would connect it to either a holiday um, with Sukkot, building um, impermanent residences. So we would give to a homeless organization. Um, you know, obviously we would get a lot more like nitty gritty going into Deuteronomy and things like that. But those are some of like the more obvious connections. And we were really inspired by an organization called the Good People Fund. Not all of their organizations are explicitly Jewish, but they are a Jewish organization and they're making a big statement like Jewish giving is giving, period. Have you gotten pushback from people um, on that question? Like, have you have have there been people? I guess I'm, I'm asking both in terms of people that have been members of Righteous Crowd and also people that that was their reason for being skeptical about it, that they somehow don't want Jewish philanthropy to be other than giving to narrowly Jewish causes, because I, I really, we, it's something that we've been talking about the last few weeks that we really, I really feel like this is something that I really want to break the thinking in the Jewish community that organizational leaders who rightly so, because they're afraid are trying to say that people are kind of being disloyal because Jews are shifting their philanthropy out of the Jewish community and into, you know, things like medicine, you know, and um, I kind of want to, now I get it and I, I don't mean to make fun How of it. And I, and I also think that there are, are, are reasonable reasons to be concerned that people maybe don't appreciate the Jewish community enough and don't understand that it's an element of like the Jewish community has to be strong so that people will then give to medicine. But somehow the the argument seems to be that it has to be made better or differently. And I worry that sometimes because of the failure to make the case for Jewish giving on the terms of the giver, right? Meaning saying this is why you should support a narrowly Jewish organization. Instead, there's a default to guilt. The best case that I can think of of why to give 
to Jewish giving is because that then cultivates the kind of people who are A, philanthropic in their orientation, and B, care about the world and suffering and poverty and health and education and art and all of those things. And so therefore, you know, anyway, I, I'm just curious whether you've seen that, whether it's generationally or otherwise, that there's pushback to that or, or not so much, that, that at least as far as something like Righteous Crowd, where we're talking about relatively small dollars, that people are kind of okay with that perspective of Jewish giving being broad. Definitely on our FAQ page, you know, we have like a, how Jewish is this, you know, giving? I would say generally, generationally, Righteous Crowd made my parents' friends give to organizations that weren't explicitly Jewish um, way more than they probably would have. And to my friends, like to organizations that were explicitly Jewish for the first time. Um, so definitely on generational lines. Um, I was really worried that we would get pushback on orgs, whether they were too Jewish, not Jewish, I don't know. But at the end of the day, like, not a single person ever complained about an organization, which like, phew, <laughs> like, we're done like handling people's money. Like even, even the organizations in Israel, like we, even racial justice organizations, like, everything, like no one was like, get me out of Righteous Crowd. Like that's never been a reason to anyone left um, Righteous Crowd. We definitely had people like not a hundred percent, like understand like what our criteria were. So like they'd sign up and be like, oh, like, can you give money to my kids Jewish day school? And like, well, that's not our under $5 million lesser known, like supporting vulnerable populations. So we definitely had members or non-members. Um, you know, there was a forum to submit suggestions, suggest orgs that just like, we were not a part of our, our criteria, our niche. I want to really unpack the assumptions that I think people are coming from that lead them, even if I, I'm thrilled to hear that you didn't hear that much, that much like negative feedback or people saying it's not Jewish enough. But I want to unpack where people are coming from there, because I think it's both valid and in my view, wrong. Like I, I get it and I, I want to transcend it personally, because I think there's a presumption that people are coming from, which is like sort of treating Jewish organizations, like the, the actively like calling themselves Jewish organizations, those organizations as similar to like a city or a locality. And what I mean by that is like, I live in Providence, Rhode Island. I think it is a true statement that if people in Providence, Rhode Island, as a general rule, don't step up and support Providence nonprofits, People in other places are not going to, to the extent that they need. Like there, there is a way in which being here leads to a necessary sense of responsibility to our community, which is to say Providence to Rhode Island. Like, and if we don't step up, like a bunch of organizations are in fact going to fold. Like they're not going to have fun. People from Boston or New York or California are not just going to necessarily crop up and give. I think people are coming from the same place Jewishly, which is to say they think like those hospitals and universities and et cetera that Dan mentions, like their base, for lack of a better term, is kind of everyone. It's they not that everybody gives to them, but they have the option of everyone who could give to them. The JCC or the Jewish Federation or the Jewish anything only has Jews. Now, I say the JCC on purpose because what we've learned about JCCs in talking to JCCs is that turns out most of their members are not Jews. And I and so like I think that the presumption and this is why it's generational, right? Like I think there's people coming from a place who really think that only Jews are going to support Jewish specific projects, but I think the reason that's the case isn't that non-Jews are like never going to give to Jewish projects, it's that we've defined our donor base in a narrow way and we've never we haven't sought like, I don't think most Jewish projects have actively sought out people who aren't Jewish to support their work. Sometimes those that have are actually those that I don't align with personally. I mean, there's all sorts of evangelical Christians who do support right-wing Jewish causes, actually. But, like, I think we could, in other political and whatever intersections, see our constituency or our base broader and so it's like the inverse to what you're saying. It, I mean, it's not contradicting it. It's like the flip side. It's like Jewish giving is much bigger than we've thought. 
And at the same time, I would love us to consider like, what would it be like to have a righteous crowd that wasn't mostly Jews or that was partially Jews and partially not? Like, how would that actually add some excitement, some new possibilities to this system as well? So the question you're asking about non-Jews um, giving to to Jewish causes, however we want to define what it what a Jewish cause is, um, I'm not really sure to be honest. Like that's not that was like literally the opposite of um, what what we were working on with with Rachel's crowd. We did have like one Jewish non-Jewish member sign up who was very excited about it, but. You know, I, ha- I haven't thought about it. I have seen iterations, you know, obviously of, of this whole righteous crowd format of giving in the non-Jewish world. Like once we get it, we got started, I found like, you know, it was called like the high five fund. It was $5 a month for, for progressive causes like founded when, you know, Trump was elected president as, as a response. So I definitely would be super curious to see like what, uh, maybe interfaith righteous crowd could look like, or when I, when I keep saying righteous crowd, I, I mean that this like vehicle of online giving. Let's talk a little bit about the decision that you made to shift from righteous crowd being an organization that collects funds and distributes funds to one that mostly collects and distributes information, or you could describe it a little better than that, I think. But, um, so talk about how you came to that decision and what that's going to look like moving forward. After two years of Moisha House being such a gracious, amazing fiscal sponsor, um, we really came to a point where we needed to decide, do we um, you know, scale up or scale down? And what does that mean? So scaling up would mean becoming our own 501c3, handling the back office, and then scaling down would be, you know, turning it, making it a little less formal. Like we wouldn't be sending out these weekly emails, we thought like monthly, but still promote smaller, lesser known, but, you know, amazing organizations. And we felt, you know, um, my, my family also, you know, with the pandemic, it's virtual schooling and, and whatnot is, is, has really changed. You know, what can we, what's our bandwidth for a side project? Um, but at the same time, you know, when we, when we started it, I don't think we ever thought this was like a forever thing. You know, we were inspired by Dollar Day that closed after one year after realizing like, we're not going to grow. We got to a certain point and we're happy with it. Um, it's definitely bittersweet. Like by turning into a information giving, we can also experiment with something else. Like, um, as Lex said, you know, the not, maybe not knowing if he'd want to sign up, like, Maybe, maybe he would sign up for a newsletter because like it's not it's once a month like what's the harm and what what impact can we now have on people where we gave away the money for you for the first two years now let's see like you you guys take initiative like can that still meet our goals of highlighting these organizations and also for our members feeling like they have more you know more initiative and more say in, in where they give have it you know I, I have to do it for myself too like I feel like it's, it's definitely um an, an experiment it's funny um from our members some people are like what like now I have to do the work you know some are like really disappointed um and others were were giving us encouragement like maybe this is you'll get you know we stayed with 250 members like maybe we'll have a lot more members just being interested in and where to give and hopefully also after like two years of actually giving with us our members like trust us and we'll take the organization so so the decision for one month we'll see where that goes uh, maybe we'll do it bi-weekly who knows um we're still figuring out like a sweet spot we'll we'll check the mailchimp see see how many people are reading our emails um but yeah it'll be very similar like finding those new organizations and sharing with our members. And, and if you go to righteouscrowd.org, we'll have a button, you know, sign up for our mailing list um, where you'll find out, you know, which organizations we want to highlight that month. And also all of our organizations that we've highlighted since the beginning, you know, since December 2018 are up on our website. I really want to say something directly that I think sometimes people I think people hear different kinds of giving in the way that you're you're pivoting to 
still doing a form of giving, but it's going to be a kind of like informational giving. Like you're, you're going to be a, a website where people can learn where they can give. And I love the way you talked about, like, there could be ways in which you empower people who have been your members to themselves take some of the initiative moving forward. Like that's a really important thing. And like sometimes on our podcast, for example, when we're asking for giving in a broad sense, Dan or I will say directly, like, there's lots of forms of giving that aren't money. And I think that sounds hokey to people. Um, I hope I hope it's clear to people that we mean it genuinely. But I think in general, there's kind of a sense that, yeah, if you can't give the money, the money's like the big thing and the most tangible thing. And sure, I guess there's other stuff, but it's like B plus and the, the money's the A. And as somebody who works for a nonprofit, like when we say that it's meaningful work, if you can't give a donation to send us a note, that's just like, I appreciate what you're doing. We're not just, we're not just saying that. Like, it's actually the case that it feels like an injection of energy when somebody sends that kind of a note, when somebody posts a five-star review in iTunes or whatever. Like, and, and similarly, if somebody who can't give, um, or who can give, by the way, like maybe the better example is somebody who could give money, but they said, like, I want to, I want to contribute to your website in some way. I bring a skill in some way that I could do. Like that actually lands on a nonprofit professional as kind of similar to monetary giving. It's a really big deal. And so that informational giving that you're talking about, where you will continue to be a site where people can learn about organizations that will spur their own donations, it's non-trivial. And so I say that all because I want to swing it back to you and ask like, what are the forms of giving through this few years that you've encountered from your members or from yourself that are not just about the monetary giving that went to each organization? Did you hear from organizations that something meaningful happened when they learned that a group like Righteous Crowd gave to them that like injected that energy that I'm talking about? Did you hear from members that like they they gave a gift through you to whatever organization, but then they reached out and volunteered or so. Like I don't know. Like is, is there is there anything that you've grown to think about around how giving of ourselves really in a non-trivial, non-hokey way is not just about the money? One of our questions that we ask to the founders or people who work at the organization that we share with our members is what are non-monetary ways that we can support you? One little anecdote was we featured an organization called Little Essentials that's based in Brooklyn that collects supplies for new parents. And one of our members in California read about it, and she was about to have a baby shower and asked her guests in lieu and gifts, can you bring an extra pack of diapers? And she found a similar organization out in California um, where she lives, like a local organization, and donated the diapers there. So like something like that just it just made me think like what impact could we be having that I don't even know about, you know, like I'm, I'm hoping that there were more, you know, little stories like that where people found out like things, things that I think that we maybe shared with people were things they didn't even like know were a problem sometimes, you know, lack of access to, to feminine hygiene products that it doesn't cross everyone's mind, you know, all the time. So in that sense, I hope that the information sharing um, part of what we're doing, where we're, where we're heading to can be really powerful. So before we go, um, the coronavirus pandemic began at a moment that coincided with sort of this transition from phase one of your organization into this new phase. I'm curious, um, what were some of the learnings that you had in supporting various organizations at the onset of this pandemic? We were really positive that March was going to end us. Um, and that was something where we were like, oh, I guess, I guess Righteous Crowd is done. Like we thought, you know, people are out of work. Every, everyone is going to pull. And there we made that big decision that we were going to loosen up our, our like tying to the Jewish calendar all the time and, and support organizations that were connected to helping people affected by COVID-19. Um, so that was, that was a big, big shift for us. 
we saw the pandemic in like different eyes too, like whether it was uh, an organization uh, giving protective equipment to to doctors in different countries or I, we, we featured one uh, from a member restaurant that like turned into a nonprofit to feed their community. Like it was, it was really, really beautiful. I think because of these small orgs, it, it was really easy and, and just like necessary for them to switch very quickly. Um, so we got to see how organizations adapted to the pandemic. Thank you for joining us. Note to listeners before we end this really seriously, Amy proposed that it would be a really cool thing if righteous crowd-like projects arose. If you've been a righteous crowd member and you're listening to this because righteous crowd has lovingly shared it in all of the places to its members, that's awesome. If you're not a righteous crowd member, but this conversation about communal giving has excited you and it's something you want to start out, whether it's precisely righteous crowds structure or something else, like non-jokingly, like really, really, Send us a note. Um, maybe Amy will get CC'd. I don't know. Who yeah, knows? But CC like, me. Amy at RighteousCrowd.org. <laughs> we would love, love to have that be a result of this episode in any direction. So this is talking to you, the one with the earbuds, the one with Alexa playing, like not the listener next to you, you. So anyway, thank you, Amy, so much for joining us. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you. And thank you for saying that. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And I'm happy to talk to anyone. You know, it was a lot of work, but I think that there are iterations of Righteous Crowd that could just be, you know, families, cousins, a way to connect you guys right now where like all we really need is connection. Absolutely. That connection point is so valuable. It's so valuable that we're going to close our episode by calling on all of you out there listening to maybe connect with us. Uh, We hope that you'll do that. We hope that you will take us up on any of the following possibilities to be in touch with us. First, there is our Facebook page, Judaism Unbound. Second, there are our other social media handles on Twitter and Instagram, also Judaism Unbound. Third, there is our website, JudaismUnbound.com. And last but not least, there is there are our email addresses at Dan at JudaismUnbound.com or Lex at JudaismUnbound.com. The last request we like to make is that we deeply appreciate any amount of financial donation that you can send our way, especially here in this philanthropy unit. And you can do that on either a monthly recurring basis or just as a one-time gift at JudaismUnbound.com slash donate. So thank you so much for listening. And with that, this has been Judaism Unbound.